Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? I'm blessed, brother. Well, I'm excited today because we are going to be addressing an email that came in. Also, it was posted on a number of our pages concerning different messages you've done at Blessed Oak Chapel. But this one has to do with our recent episode from 4-12-2021 on is baptismal regeneration a damnable heresy? Not to be confused with our episode that we did on a follow-up where we mentioned that doctrine, and that's where we talked about damnable and flammable heresies. And Tony can put a link in the description so you can check out both of those because I think they're really, really important messages. And it'll hopefully get a little bit of a background here for this one. But we received an email and they were challenging some of the things that we were saying in a loving way. So we said, hey, instead of writing a long email back, why don't we just address this formally on a show? So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read from the email, and we'll see uh, if Joe, hopefully, we'll see if he jumps in and and tries to stop me before I get to the end, but I'll read through it as much as I can, and then Joe's going to address some of the main points that are made here as much as we can. We only got a half hour here, so we'll try our best to address every single point if we can. So he says, when dealing with the subject of baptism regeneration, we must, we must fir- first clearly define our terms, as the word implies baptismal regeneration as such, teaches that the power to regenerate the soul is found in the sacrament of baptism itself, generally of infants, as administered by a priest or equivalent in the Roman Orthodox or in other mainline Reformed traditions. This is certainly a damnable heresy in light of 1 Peter 3.21. The power to save is in Christ alone and his resurrection. And that's not always the case, right? Baptismal regeneration, also, we could uh, line them up in the Church of Christ and how they view it as well. So uh, here's what he says, and then he quotes First Peter 3.21, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Having identified the true source of salvation, we must ask ourselves, when and where is the saving grace imputed to the believer in Scripture? The Apostle Paul gives us a clear and inescapable answer In Galatians 3.27, so he's saying that this text, Joe, gives a clear and inescapable answer as to when and where the saving grace is imputed into the believer. Here's 3.27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." 
I don't see that there, but we'll guess we'll get into that. Anyway, or anyone who knows anything about the priestly garments under the Mosaic Covenant can readily identify what Paul is getting at in this passage. He is drawing a parallel between the robe of justice or righteousness that the priesthood was required to put on before entering the temple and the role of Christian baptism in the life of the body of the New Covenant believers. This is totally consistent with every other passage on baptism throughout the New Testament. From Scripture, we learn that while baptism may not be essential for salvation, it is most definitely the God-appointed time and occasion upon which he has graciously chosen to meet the repentant believer and bestow his promises upon him or her through the merits of our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. If it's not essential then how can it be a direct time? I'm not really understanding what he's trying to say there. It seems like those are contrad- a contradictory sentence there. Because on one hand, he's saying it's basically this is when salvation takes place. But then again, it's not necessarily essential. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I'm having a tough it time. It seems to be an inherent contradiction. Yeah. That's an inherent contradiction there. So uh, he then quotes 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Uh, as many of you guys know, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Which is the gospel, but there's no mention of baptism there. No mention of baptism. That's exactly right. And then he quotes alongside of that, but he doesn't give any commentary to it, but he quotes Romans chapter 6, not 4, and we'll get to that later. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Since it is likely that your response will involve the examples of the thief on the cross on end Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 1, I would promptly caution you as follows. The thief, the thief was saved by faith in Christ prior to the institution of Christian baptism in the Great Commission. In this sense, he joined the many Old Testament believers who were also saved or justified by faith as they set their eyes on the future fulfillment of God's provision through the Messiah. This case is far from being a norm for all New Testament believers as the example of conversion in Acts, conversions in Acts confirm. As for Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians, it is it must be understood in the larger context of the rest of the chapter and the rest of his teaching on baptism. Now, we didn't quote from 1 Corinthians uh, in that, no, we'll, we'll but we that probably will have to cover that. So, Joe, that is, I've, I've given you a lot. Instead of breaking it up, we've kind of read the whole thing through, and now maybe you can go through some of these finer points. Yeah, his main point seemed to be uh, Romans, uh, or should say Galatians 3.27, so we have to check that out. But let's keep in mind, a lot of people do believe in baptismal regeneration. Uh, Roman Catholics is the biggest group that does. I mean, you've got over a billion, maybe a billion and a half Roman Catholics who believe that you have to be baptized, even, you know, infant baptismal regeneration. Uh, you have, uh, which, by the way, Roman Catholicism has a false gospel. Uh, they, need, they don't have the true gospel. They believe you got to go through purgatory, keep seven sacraments, and 
you know, the merit of other other so-called saints, which are really sinners, sometimes help you in salvation. You have the Calvinists that are federal visionist Calvinists, not all Calvinists, thank God, but many of them that believe in uh, baptism, redemption, Anglicans, which is another huge segment of, uh, and there's genuine believers in, in among uh, some of these groups, obviously, uh, Lutherans, Mormons, which are it's a cult, so you have to come out of Mormonism to get saved, be right with the Lord, same with Catholicism, you'd actually have to have a true conversion and eventually, I believe you'd leave that that assembly, or you ought to, unless you're trying to win people. But you need to make sure you distinguish your faith between the false uh, church, you know. So there's a lot of different groups that that believe in. In you may know people in the audience, you know, and among our brothers and sisters out there, you may know people that hold this view. Uh, and Chad, I think it's important that we address. If you haven't heard the last message we did on baptismal regeneration, really encourage you to check it out. I'll just have, give you one response from a brother named Javen, who uh, wrote to me from uh, Washington. He wrote, quote, your teachings are always good, but that one was especially good. I found myself thinking, wow, all caps, how can anyone debate this? It's sad that they have decided to fight against the word of God, hoping and praying that they turn from fighting against the word. Love you, bro. Keep you in our prayers. I appreciate that. So uh, there's this is a slam dunk case when you look at all the scriptures and we looked at scripture after scripture after scripture which talked about you know in the new testament jesus uh, receives people that come to him in faith and he pronounces them forgiven pronounces them saved prior to any water baptism and he's making the statement that well after he died on the cross it's actually harder to be saved now you can't just put your trust in him and be saved you actually have to make sure someone baptizes you and is it really harder to be saved and it's not just faith, but you have to also be baptized after the cross, after he paid for our sins. But before the cross, Jesus, you know, just kind of waved that and let it go until he died and actually paid the price. That makes no sense to me. And the thief on the cross, uh, he did die after Jesus died. Now, the statement is made, well, that was before the apostles were commissioned uh, to baptize people. But let's keep in mind, one of the things we looked at as well was the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, we know the end of Mark chapter uh, 16 is not in the oldest manuscripts. So when you go to Luke chapter 24 and you go to uh, Matthew chapter 28, Luke says to preach, uh, Jesus says through Luke 24, Jesus in the Great Commission says to preach repentance for the remission of sins. So you preach people to repent, repentant faith, right? Put your trust in Jesus and you have forgiveness of sins. Uh, That's very clear. And then in Matthew, Jesus, we see also said that you make disciples What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. And then you baptize them. So one is already born again uh, after they've come to repentant faith in Jesus. There's been the remission of sins. Then they've become disciples. Then they're baptized. That's the, so we see before the Great Commission, we see at the Great Commission itself. And then we looked at examples that are just so clear, like Cornelius, you know, clearly after the Great Commission in the book of Acts. And I just want to address this real quick, because he did mention on here this case concerning the thief on the cross is far from being a norm for all New Testament believers. We would say that as well when it comes to baptism because we do believe that believers get baptized. Absolutely. And if you haven't yet, get baptized. Okay, that's a command by Jesus, man. <laughs> if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, he said. Amen, amen, exactly. And you, like you said, we've, given, we've been given the formula, right, for disciples and so forth. So I think that's really, really important. So I want to really get into the crux here because even if I just summarize the entire email, I could probably get into this these two 
things that he said here because I think it's one of the most important because we do get back into baptismal regeneration, I think, if we take this thought process to its logical conclusion. And if Galatians 3 is saying what he's saying it's saying, maybe we should be baptismal regenerationists. Problem is it's not. Neither is the rest of Scripture. Should but should a lot of Scripture then. So here's what he said. He said, having identified the true source of salvation, he's saying Jesus Christ, right? He said, we must ask ourselves, when and where is the saving grace imputed to the believer in Scripture? The Apostle Paul gives us a clear and inescapable answer in Galatians 3.27. So, Joe, we got to figure out, does this give us a clear and inescapable answer that you are not imputed righteousness until baptism? Yeah, and, and I commend his viewpoint, which we agree with, and we're glad he sees this much, at least we're in agreement with this is that there's not some magical operation that the water affects you in some spiritual way. Uh, and he addresses First Peter there, and it's through Christ's resurrection, it's through yeah. asking good conscience toward God through faith. But he's saying your faith doesn't really bring salvation until the point of baptism. And that, there's, a, there's a real problem with that, because especially if you're arguing from Galatians 3.27, because Galatians is one of the books like Romans, for instance, that emphasizes over and over again that salvation comes at the point of faith. Uh, prior to any human work or experience uh, outside of faith. And I think that's very clear. In fact, it's a little scary at this point, too, because, and, and I let the Lord be the judge, because if people are saying, hey, I've got to be baptized, I've got to make sure I do the baptism, and, and by being baptized, I'm going to be saved, are they not po- potentially, God sees the heart, I don't see the heart, but are they potentially like those in Galatia uh, that the Judaizers have gotten a hold of that thought, hey, the cross plus circumcision? plus keeping the feast days, plus the Jewish calendar, plus, you know, A, A B, and C from the Old Covenant. And uh, because Paul hold, Paul's whole argument in Galatians is that we're saved at the point of faith. When you come to Jesus, you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're saved prior to the, any works of the law that these guys are trying to do. And he's saying, he says, have I run my race in vain? You know, I mean, have, have, I, have I preached to in vain? I mean, you're going back to the law now. In fact, listen to Paul's argument here, because Paul says in Galatians 3.2, and this is very important, Galatians 3.2, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? Uh, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is very important because before you get to chapter 3, verse 27, whatever it means, it's not going to contradict chapter 3, verse 2, which is very, very clear that he's saying, hey, before you were ever circumcised or considered being circumcised to be right with God and be accepted by God, did you not receive, did you receive the Holy Spirit through the works of the law and any of the works that you were keeping? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit through the hearing by faith, which sounds a lot like what happened to Cornelius, which is very important when Peter preached the gospel to him in Acts 10 and 11. That's very key because that's the paradigm of, of how salvation is, is, is executed uh, in Scripture. Now, I think it's very important at this point that he's saying, hey, you were saved right here by faith when you were hearing the gospel and it was mixed with faith prior to any works of the law. Well, that would also obviously mean if you were saved through the hearing of faith, that would be prior to any time they were baptized subsequently. Faith, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith, therefore, precedes baptism. We go and get baptized because we have faith. We don't come to faith when we're being baptized. So that's important. In Galatians 2.16a, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we get to Galatians 3.27. Well, 
Right before 327, which is what he's quoting there, we read this, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And he already made the, showed in chapter three, verse two earlier that happened when you were hearing the gospel. So he makes it very, very clear all the way before you get to 327 that salvation is by grace through faith. And his whole point there is it happened at that point when you heard the gospel, not subsequent, which would also rule out uh, salvation coming at baptism. I think that's essential that we understand that. In fact, when are we robed with righteousness? At the point of faith. Paul says this, Philippians 3, 9. And he says that we'd be found that he would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which is robe of filthy rags, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So uh, to say that that, has, that takes place subsequently at baptism is contrary to the scriptures. Romans 3.13.14, instead, now I think this is interesting, because when we come to Christ in faith, we deny ourselves. We accept that wedding invitation. When we accept that wedding invitation to that wedding, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus uses the picture of robes. That is when we receive the robe of righteousness. And even after we're baptized, we're still called. In Romans chapter 13, he's talking to Christians that have been baptized. Verse 14 says, instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So we, in an ongoing way, we can read that in Colossians chapter uh, 3 as well, that we are to put on Christ. Uh, and put off the works of the flesh and put on the new man and so forth, Ephesians as well. So what he's doing, though, is he's, and I think it's interesting, and with all due respect to his brother, he seems to love the Lord, but uh, and he seems to say he's saved based on the merits of what Christ did and faith in his resurrection and so forth, but he's placing it at his baptism, not realizing, hey, if you actually put your trust into Jesus before your baptism, that is the point that you were actually saved. So it's important to understand this, too, is he's assuming because he sees the word baptizo or baptism in 327, that it's speaking of water baptism. There's no mention of water in the text. And then when the Bible talks about the elementary teachings of the scripture in Hebrews chapter six, and one of the elementary teachings is that there's more than one baptism. Paul in Hebrews chapter six, verse two, speaks of uh, various different baptisms. He says, and of instruction about, about baptisms, the laying on of hands, baptisms, plural, the resurrection of the dead, uh, and eternal judgment. So there's more than one baptism, okay? And one of the baptisms that the Bible teaches is that uh, John the Baptist said, I've talks about while well, I've been baptizing you by water, Jesus, he says, is gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it's important to understand that when we come to Christ, being, baptism is a picture of entering into Christ. Going in the water and out of the water is a physical picture of that. It's a physical picture of what spiritually happens. We too often confuse the sign with what it signifies. It's a sign of what happens to us spiritually when we come to Christ. So when you and I, Chad, came to Jesus, in that moment, our names were entered into the book of life. At that very moment, uh, we were placed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. This is what happens to every believer when they get saved, when they put their faith in Jesus. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but, all its many, but as many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So while John baptized with water, he said, one's gonna come after me that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ and into his body. So when you become a Christian, you're baptized 
into Christ has nothing to do with water. Then when you have a water baptism, it's a beautiful dramatization of what God has done in you. And when I baptize people, when we baptize people in our fellowship, we go down to the beach usually, and it's awesome because there's a lot of people there, a lot of people from the fellowship come. It's just beautiful. And sometimes people from around come and they check it out. And it's it's really awesome. We have a great time. Uh, if you're visiting Blessed Open, a baptism time, maybe we feel free. We'd love to uh, participate in a baptism with you uh, when we have those baptismal dates. But it's beautiful. But I'll use the language of salvation. I'll point to a ship out in the ocean. I'll say that word baptizo is used of ships that were sunk. You know, it has to do with death. And when you're baptized, it's a picture of entering into Christ's death. And when you come up, it's a picture of entering in the newness of life. And then people renounce their sins right there. We'll, we'll, we'll pray and they'll renounce the hidden works of darkness and confess and so forth. And if you didn't know about it, you think, wow, they're getting saved right then. Even though we use that kind of language, we know. And when they give their testimonies prior to baptism, when they're standing on the beach, they'll talk about how Jesus already saved them. So we don't confuse the two, even though the sign uses that language. The Bible sometimes uses that language when it talks about uh, baptism because the picture of salvation, even as Peter points out, it's not the washing of the dirt with the water. That's not what it's about. The answer of a good conscience toward God. Well, that happens according to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we're born again through hearing the incorruptible word. Peter says that. Prior to chapter 3, he talks about how we're born again when we hear the preaching of the incorruptible word through faith. Then the baptism is a picture of that. We're not saved by the water, he says. So all this is very, very important. And I think it's absolutely critical that we understand that that our baptism is, it's important, but it's not what actually saves us. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. The the water is just a picture of of being buried and being cleansed by his blood. Uh, Regarding the argument that after Jesus died, you need to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. Subsequent to after his death, I should say, after the Great Commission, now we have to be baptized. Uh, that's one of the main points he makes there. The problem with that is that we have no record of the apostles, except for Paul later, being baptized. Kind of interesting. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the epistles, we never hear it mentioned or see it mentioned where the apostles were actually baptized. Now, I believe they were baptized because they're baptizing others, so it, it follows that they would have been baptized. But from the get-go, they're talking about baptism but we don't see them being baptized after the cross. We don't see them being baptized after the Great Commission. And I think that's important because after Jesus rises from the dead, this is what we read in chapter 20, verse 20 through 22, before the book of Acts, before Acts 2, in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon them in power, upon the disciples. It says, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his feet. The disciples then rejoiced that they saw the Lord. So this is when they're seeing the Lord and they're blown away right after the resurrection. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, no, you have to be baptized after the resurrection. Now you have to be baptized, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's the contact point of salvation. Right here, it's very clear that they're receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with you, Jesus said, but he will be in you. After you rise from the dead, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, which is, there's no baptism mentioned in connection. He doesn't just show up and say, hey, wait, there's some water here real quick. I want you guys to be able to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's dip you in the water so you can receive the Holy Spirit. No, and we understand that we become Christians and we're baptized into Christ when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. That's when we're regenerated. That's when we're born again. That's important. And Jesus had already said to them in John 15, 3, you are already clean because the word which I've spoken to you. Cleansing comes from the preaching of the gospel 
and putting faith in the Lord of the gospel, his finished work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And of course, we're either looking forward to it or we're looking back on it, but they were looking forward to it. So I think this is very, very important to understand. Uh, by the way, we know that federal visionists, we know that Anglicans, we know that Roman Catholics, we know that Lutherans, they all look at circumcision. They'll say, circumcision, mm -hmm, see, yeah. that's a picture of baptism. That's a picture of baptism. Well, do you hear what Paul's saying about circumcision? You know, you alluded to it earlier, Chad. Romans 4, 9 through 11. Listen to this. Was Abraham, and Paul's talking about how we get justified by our faith. And he talks about how Abraham was justified by faith prior to circumcision. So if Abraham was justified by faith prior to circumcision, that's a great picture of how you're justified by faith prior to baptism. Listen to what he says. In this blessedness only for, is this blessedness only for the circumcised? We're also for the uncircumcised. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or baptized, according to our brothers, or before? It was not after, but before. So Paul, through his faith, was credited righteousness before, I'm sorry, saying Abraham was before circumcision. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. He's making it very, very clear that Abraham was justified by faith prior to circumcision. He's saying he's a sign, he's a picture as the father of faith to all of us, that we're justified at the moment of faith prior to anything else that we do. Yeah, I just I just want to point this out, and, and he didn't even make this argument, but it's something that, that came out a lot. It was people over and over again saying, you're using a lot of texts that don't talk about baptism to talk about baptism. Now, I think that's a misnomer. We've talked about baptism a number of times from a number of texts. But what would you say to someone who said that when you use texts like this or any text in the Scripture that's not talking 1 Corinthians 15? Why would we use that to show, uh, you know, baptismal regeneration seems to be a faulty uh, teaching? Well, I think it's really clear that since those who believe in baptismal re regeneration, they often will use circumcision as an example. Hey, circumcision was, uh, you know, yeah. a sign of the covenant of the Old Testament. So, okay, let's look at what, let's take a deeper look at what you're saying. So we're looking at their arguments and we take a deeper look at like, it, it collapses. Their arguments collapse upon themselves because you can observe here in the text that faith and righteousness are joined together, you know, prior to circumcision. And so it is true with the believer when we come to faith. Abraham is that paradigm, which I think is very important. In fact, Cornelius is part of that paradigm as well. I brought him up before, but I want to take an, another little look at Cornelius because now we're talking about, we're talking about salvation. The, the, the argument is what we're talking about salvation itself. And when does salvation occur? So if we can, and they, if they say it doesn't occur before baptism, well, of course, the onus is on us to prove that it does occur before baptism, and let us prove our point. And we have, I think, splendidly, it's so clear in the Scripture, the Scripture's three sheets drop down before Peter. Peter's going to realize that the door of salvation has been opened up to the Gentiles. We read over and over again, you know, uh, he will speak words to you by which you will be saved. Acts eleven fourteen. 14. Uh, again, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 47. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. A little bit later, it says they received the Holy Spirit as we did. Then they asked, hey, why don't we baptize them now since they've received the Holy Spirit just at or the same way as we did? Chapter 11, verse 15. They began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as he did upon us in the beginning. In 11, 18, we see the same thing. God's given them eternal life. Uh, they repented of their sins and received eternal life. 11, 18. 
18, through faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Why? Why does he, man, if Paul believed you were saved by baptism, he'd be dunking everybody, but he separates him from the gospel. Paul says, I was called to preach the gospel, not to baptize. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. A few verses later says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So over and over again, I have so many scriptures we're going to leave out of this message, but that just bolsters the point. And the last passage I was going to go to was Acts 15, because that's when they're having the argument of how Gentiles could be saved. There's no mention of baptism there. And he says, he goes back to Cornelius again and says they were, they were saved through the hearing by faith, through faith in the Messiah, and they were saved by faith. Again, no baptism, and it happened prior to baptism. Cornelius is a paradigm through acts of how we're saved. Baptism is beautiful. It's a beautiful picture, but it's the blood of Christ that saves us through faith at the point of faith, not years later when you're baptized or months later or weeks or days. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.